Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 5. You'll find it on page 1,812 in the Bible in the pew in front of you. Now, friends, back in the year 1998, who remembers 1998? Anybody? It was a pivotal year for me. Back in 1998, what's that? 1898. Thank you for being transparent. Well, in 1998, right around the time that hundreds of ceramic masks were being glued to a wall at Glenfair Elementary School, just waiting for me to come and remove them, 17-year-old me was experiencing a rude awakening to life as I reported into basic training at Lackland Air Force Base for the United States Air Force. Now, one of the very first things that I was taught, the rest of us trainees were taught, was how to form up in formation and how to march. Because you see, friends, the only way to move a large amount of people efficiently is to march them everywhere they need to go on base. Now, the only problem for us newbies is that we're an unorganized mess. I can remember being such a fog those first few days of arriving as a 17-year-old kid amongst these other adults getting yelled at by people I didn't even know. I'm like, what did I do to you? I was in such a huge fog that when they said left, I went right. When they said right, I went left. I can't even tell you how uncoordinated my coordinated arm swings were, okay? Friends, I'm gonna try to demonstrate. I, I know how to march now, but it was like, that was me. And, and I, it drove our training instructors up a wall. I looked like an awkward duck trying to follow the flock. It was, it was bad. But then, with practice and correction, which you know I received both, my flight of trainees became a well-synchronized unit. In fact, we came in second place in the drill competition near the end of training, and our flight leader even called a very difficult diagonal move called an oblique. Okay, and it's imagine 50 of us going straight and in synchronization, we go like this and then back like this. It was a thing of beauty. Man, I would have YouTubed it if we could have. Now, I found in my experience from marching that the number one key to not getting out of step and messing things up and causing people to trip up or causing yourself to trip up is to follow the commands and the cadence of the person who is leading the formation. As long as I remain focused on what they were telling me to do and their cadence, listening to their instructions and their leading, I marched just fine. But the moment I allowed myself to focus on something else, is when I started to drift, when I started to mess up, when I started to get out of sync. And that's when I opened myself up to running into the back of the person in front of me or turning in the opposite direction and hearing from my instructor, Davis, 
what are you doing? Now, friends, for me, this illustrates an important truth about the gospel that we're going to read from our text. And for those of you who are taking notes, this is the big idea I believe that God has for you and I today, and that's this. Living out the gospel requires keeping pace with the Holy Spirit. Living out the good news of Jesus Christ in your life requires that you march to the Spirit's cadence and that you follow the Spirit's leading in your life. Friends, would you please stand with me as a way to honor God's word and follow along as I read Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 25. I'm going to invite a special guest up here, Judah. Can you come up here with me for a minute? Judah's going to help with part of this, okay? We practiced this earlier. I'll tell you when, okay? You ready? Can you do it? Okay, let's follow along in verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Do we even use that word anymore? Idolatry and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy. Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Now, friends, against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. That took a long time, by the way. <laughs> I think ever since they were two, we've been uh, trying to teach them that. Now, friends, there's a lot packed into that those, just those few verses that we read. But for those of you who are taking notes, I believe that there's three very important warnings for those of us who have said yes to Jesus Christ about getting out of step with the Holy Spirit. So if you're taking notes, the first is this, the first warning. Your flesh wants to keep you from following the Holy Spirit. Your flesh wants to keep you from following the Holy Spirit. Now, in the original Greek language, the word for flesh has several meanings. There's a depth to it. There's a range to it. It can mean your literal flesh, like my flesh is grabbing this Bible and lifting it up, right? When we think of flesh, I think we think of the things that we can touch, right, and handle and hold. But when Paul uses it, he talks about the essence that makes you you, your flesh, your, your soul, the thing that drives you, that desires those passions, that the inner life as well as the outer life. So it not only includes the things you can grasp and and hand on hold, but it's everything inward too, the motivations of your heart, the inclinations of your mind, the bent of your soul, all of those things. 
And so what Paul wants to highlight from us very quickly from the beginning is that there is an inner tension between the flesh, your body, that thing that's corrupted that you inherited from your parents and your parents' parents and your parents' parents all the way down to Adam and Eve. There's this tension between that and the spirit of God that lives with inside of you. Paul said in verse 17, the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Paul wrote to the Romans at one point in time, he says, the things I want to do, I don't do them. Now the things I don't want to do, I find that I do those things. And he says, what a wretched man I am. Friends, have you ever in your own life, in your own walk and relationship with God, have found yourselves doing things where you're like, man, I didn't want to do that. And I knew I shouldn't do it, but darn it, I did it. Or is that just me? Am I the only mess up here today? No, friends. I think we find that there's this inner turmoil and this inner tension that still lives inside of every single one of us. And I think some of you may be wondering, but yeah, didn't Steve, didn't Jesus say that if you've accepted him, and it is no longer you who lives, but Christ lives in you. The old is gone, the new has come. Aren't I supposed to be a new creation? And the answer is yes, you are. But you still have some old habits that are ingrained in the tissues of your body, in the wiring of your brain. You still have memories in your flesh of things that take a lifetime sometimes, in some cases, to work out. To continue with. Now, what this tension reminds us that there's this, this conflict that the flesh wants to keep you from following the Holy Spirit. What this tension reminds us is to rely on the Holy Spirit. To rely on the Holy Spirit. Friends, you are not to live life in the power of your own strength. Did you know that? How many of you on a diet have ever tried to? hold restraint to the dessert table or potluck. Uh, not this last, not the, the uh, last month, July's potluck, right? For those of you who remember that, the dessert table was beckoning me, but I've been trying to limit my sugar intake because I have a fitness test coming up uh, in a couple weeks. And, and, and I'm trying to be a good boy and trying to, to eat, but oh my gosh, the smell of fresh baked cookies. Anybody? Right? Right? So, so this tension, the, the reason why you have tension, the reason why God allows you to live with this tension and doesn't just flip the robot switch, which by the way is something I've prayed for on numerous occasions, God, I just, just flip the switch. I just want to say everything you want me to say and do everything you want me to do. But the reason why it's not there is because God wants you to rely on the Holy Spirit. To rely on the Spirit. But not only that, this tension reminds us that we are new people that we have new desires and that we do not have to blindly follow our sinful desires anymore. Those who do not have the Holy Spirit can, can't help but follow their fleshly desires. I don't care how moral of a person you think someone may be or yourself is. If you do not have Jesus, you can only obey the desires of the flesh and the desires of the flesh leads to sin, sin leads to death eventually, Okay? So the fact that you have this tension is God's gift to you, reminding you that you don't 
have to blindly follow your desires and your appetites. You don't have to give in to your sin. Remember the woman who was caught in adultery, right? You remember what Jesus says to her? He says, woman, go and sin no more. He tells her that because what he's trying to do is call her into a reality that is already hers and it's a reality that's already yours and that is you do not have to sin. You cannot use the excuse, the devil made me do it. It is your choice. And as a child of God, the tension is there to remind you that you do not have, you do not have to blindly follow your sinful desires. Friends, there's a, this negative and positive element um, to, to being led, okay? Um, and in, in we see that uh, in verse 16 and 17, Paul is talking about being led by the Spirit or being led by your flesh. And this idea of leading has a negative and positive element to it. First, the negative element, your flesh wants to lead you into bondage. And, and, and the way this word is used in the text sometimes is one, as a person being led away to being arrested or, or led away to be condemned, to be killed. So the negative element is that the flesh wants to lead you away to your condemnation, to imprisonment, to bondage as a slave. And your flesh wants to bring you to a place of condemnation. But the positive element is this, that the spirit wants to not shackle you or bind you. Rather, the Holy Spirit wants to lead you by the hand. The Holy Spirit wants to lovingly and gently lead you into God's promised land of freedom, love, and grace. But friends, the warning from Paul for us today is that your flesh wants to keep you from following the Spirit. The second warning is this, that your flesh attacks your relationships. The flesh attacks your relationships. In verses 19 through 21, we get this list of all manner of sins. And, and Paul says the acts of the flesh are obvious, okay? Um, you, you don't have to have a, a PhD in psychology to figure these things out. Um, you have a conscience that was given to you by God, and the Holy Spirit will convict you when you're doing something that you should not be doing, okay? Uh, but to help us out, he gives us a list, and he lists sexual immorality, which is the junk drawer term, Okay, which, which, you know, the junk drawer, it's everything that you put into it, right? That you don't have a home for it. So sexual immorality covers a wide range of sexual sin, pornography, um, uh, premarital affairs, extramarital affairs, um, all sorts of things are bound up in that. Impurity, that's more of like in your thought mind. Debauchery, um, which I'll explain a little bit in a little bit. Idolatry, witchcraft, and, and the list goes on. Uh, and then he says this at the end. He says, and the like. You notice that? I love that, how Paul says, and the like. What this means is, it's not an exhaustive list, friends. Okay? It's not an exhaustive list. And your goal should not be to find new ones to add to it. Okay? It's not an exhaustive list. And, and what Paul is saying, and I'll, get, and I'll expound on this a little minute, is, is that these things of the flesh want to attack, want to ruin all the relationships that you have in your life. 
And then at the end, he says this in 21, he says, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, friends, I wanna be very clear. I wanna um, expound on that last phrase, that those who live like this. If you understand the word in the Greek, hey, buddy, thank you. Can you go sit down and we'll do that afterwards? Thanks. It's family month. Uh, This phrase describes a person who lives a lifestyle doing these things. It's a habit, a pattern or habit. It's, it's those who are led or consistently influenced by these list of fleshly things. They make up practice of them. Some people try to become experts in them. When I was a young 17-year-old in basic training, and I was surrounded by men of all ages, okay, into their mid, uh, early to mid-20s, When one of the guys found out that I was dating Heather, he had asked me if I had relations with her. I'm using some code because we have kids in the room, right? Asked me if I had relations with her. And I said, no, why would I want to do that? And he was saying, well, how do you know she's going to be good? And I looked at him and I said, if I have nothing to compare her to, she'll be perfect. Preach it. And as a 17-year-old, he's like, it's like, But he at one time had bragged about how he wanted to beat his uncle's record with how many women he could have relations with. And his uncle's record was like 300. Oh, by the way, he got recycled in our fifth week for being inappropriate with another woman in our flight and had to repeat several weeks of lessons. Friends, that's... That's a person who's led by them, who practice those things, who, whose lifestyle is ruled by them. It's not describing someone who has the occasional slip up. It's not saying that you wrestled with a temptation and man, you gave in. You, you, for whatever reasons, you gave in and now you're feeling the effects of that sin He's not condemning you. He's not saying that you're this horrible person. He's saying that the person who lives by these things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So what does that mean for you? That means when you mess up, when you fight temptation and you give in, you don't have to fear that somehow you've lost your salvation, okay, friends? You don't have to walk around on eggshells with God. It does mean you need to repent, Okay, it does mean you need to acknowledge your failure and ask God for forgiveness and then you allow him to pick you up out of the dust of your sin and move you on into into better things in your life. But the person who lives by these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The person who looks at this list and says, I see nothing wrong with them. Caution, red flag, warning. And if you, as you go back and you meditate on this, or as maybe you go back this week and you read this and you look at this list and you say, oh, that one kind of describes me. Then I've got an answer for you in a minute. Friends, 
these types of sins, these types of things of the flesh affect three spheres of our relationships. First, it affects the relationship that you have with yourself. And yes, you have a relationship with yourself. Did you know that? How many of you talk to yourself? You have conversations, you're like, darn it, why did I do that? Or, man, that was so awesome, I hope someone saw that, right? Uh, you, you, this affects yourself. And, and I actually even see in the first three, uh, those, the, the works of the flesh that describe our sexuality really as being like the pinnacle sin against yourself. And in fact, Paul taught in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And so when you give into these things, you, you are affecting the relationship that you have with yourself. The next ones, I believe, talk about our relationship with God. When we get into things like witchcraft and idolatry and hatred and discord and those things, it really sets up other things that we worship. It becomes idol worship. And in fact, if you're actually to look at the word for witchcraft in the original language, it's the word where we get pharmaceuticals. And, and what Paul is getting at is he's saying, do you use things to alter your mind, your state of being, to take you into places that you shouldn't be going, into uncontrolled places? Are you opening up your minds via substance abuse, whether legal or illegal? I could care less what Oregon says about marijuana. I could care less about what the drinking age is. I could care less about those things. Do you use substances to alter your state of being? Because if you do and you you are opening yourself up to idolatry and worship of demons and other things, and that is a path you should not go down. Those things will affect your relationship with God. But not only that, the works of the flesh affect, they attack our relationships with our community. Our friends, our family, our church, our workplace, our neighborhoods. And friends, have you ever had someone, if it's you, don't say anything. Remain innocent for now, okay? Have you ever had emotions that ran wild? Have you ever had emotions that ran wild? Have you ever flown off the handle, had a knee-jerk reaction? I had to apologize to my children yesterday because I snapped at them and they didn't deserve it. And, and so when we give in to these works of the flesh as a way of impacting our community, the people we care about, the people that we love, those that we're supposed to love. So the works of the flesh, if you live by these things, not only do you not inherit the kingdom of God, but it really messes up your life from the inside out. Friends, the flesh wants to attack your relationships. Thirdly, your flesh must be killed. This is a warning from Paul. You must kill your flesh. Now, one of the ways that we do this is through the, developing the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. And we saw that Judah did a great job with that, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And Paul adds this, there is no law against these things. So if you want to, if you want to do business, if you want to deal with your flesh, if you want to deal with those sinful desires that keep coming up, you must develop the fruit of the Spirit. Now, friends, let me ask you this question. 
If you spent the same amount of time developing these nine character qualities in your life, developing the fruit of the Spirit, if you spent the same amount of time doing that as you did, thinking about or giving yourself over to the sinful desires of your flesh, how much more successful in your relationship with God do you think you'll be? Think about the time that you give to your temptations. If instead of giving that amount of time to your temptations, you decided to give that time to God and the Holy Spirit living in you, if you decided to give your time to the fruit of the Spirit, how much more victorious do you think you'd be in your life? Friends, if you're on the internet or you're on the TV and something sparks lust in you, instead of spending time surfing, what if instead you said, I'm going to spend time thinking about self-control? Saying, God, what does it mean for me to have self-control right now? Holy Spirit, what does it mean for me to not give into that, but to do the right thing? Maybe anger is an issue for you and you get angry at people. Instead of getting angry, instead of looking at CNN or Fox News or whatever channel you are and getting angry at the world and how it's going to hell in a handbasket and how it's going to burn up and just it's getting worse. What if instead of anger and fits of rage and jealousy and enviness, what if instead you said, I'm going to love? What if instead I'm going to be a person of peace? And the time that I would spend reading the newspaper, I'm going to spend loving people. I'm going to spend time praying to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to, and you replace it. And you replace it with something like that. So not only should we change the way we spend our time, but we need to be consistent in the application of the fruit in our life. Paul says, against such things, there is no law. There's no limit. There are no boundaries. To applying the fruit of the Spirit in your life. There's no amount of strikes against an individual that gets you out of displaying these fruit in your relationships with them. I don't care how many times my children disobey, I still need to be loving with them. I don't care how many times they drive me nuts asking questions, I still need to be patient with them. Amen? Not only is the flesh killed through developing the fruit of the Spirit, but it's also killed through constant crucifixion of your selfish desires. Through the constant crucifixion of your sinful desires. Verse 24, Paul says that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Friends, this makes for a great bumper sticker or a tattoo if that's you. You're a hipster, right? You get a tattoo of this. It makes it great for one of those things. But I don't think we actually really give time to what Paul is telling us we should do. It's kind of cute to read it. It's nice to memorize it. But this is a pretty violent verse. This is a violent verse. It's not cute. Friends, crucifixion is something that you, as Paul is telling us, You must do it. Nobody can crucify the desires for you and God doesn't do it to you. It's something that you must do. He says, those who are in Christ, those who belong to Christ Jesus, have crucified. 
But you're only able to do it because of the saving faith of Jesus, because Jesus was crucified first. Now, what does this mean to crucify the sinful desires? One, it, it means that you take drastic measures to deal with sin in your lives. You remember that story Jesus told, if your right eye causes you to stumble, what? Tear it out, right? If your right hand causes you to stumble, what do you do? Cut it off. Friends, I got a machete in the back. Anybody? <clears throat> I'm kidding. I'm just teasing. I, I, Jesus is using hyperbole here, okay? If you plucked out your eyes, you'd still have your thoughts to deal with, right? Um, so it doesn't, it, what he's saying here, and what I believe Jesus is getting at in, in Matthew is that we are to take drastic measures. Is crucifixion a drastic measure, friends? Yes, it is. If Christ took that step to deal with sin in your life, what are you doing with your own sin in your life? How do you treat it? How do you handle it? Do you flirt with it still? Do you keep it as a pet? Friends, you need to crucify it. You need to take drastic measures. If you keep tripping up because of the TV or the internet, friends, be weird. Get rid of your TV and cut the cord. Let me tell you, the world existed before the internet and was fine. The world was fine before TV. It's okay. If you really need to go watch the Seattle Seahawks, you can come to my house. I got it DVR'd, Okay. Friends, there's other, is it drink? Cut it out. Have you cut it out? Go to AA. What is the drastic, if you have not taken drastic steps, if you have not crucified a fleshly desire in your life that gets you tripped up over and over and over and over again, you have not been drastic enough. Not only that, though, friends, not only does killing your flesh take drastic measures, but killing your flesh requires consistent dedication. Consistent dedication. Friends, crucifixion was pitiless. When the Romans crucified someone, they did it without mercy. It was shameful and full view, and it was reserved for the worst of the worst. What is it going to take for you and I to look at our flesh, our sinful desires, and get to the point where it says, it is time for you to die so that I can truly live. You must show no pity to your sinful desires. Not only that, but crucifixion was painful. Friends, sin will not go down without a fight. Sin will not go down without a fight. And friends, it is very hard to undo the things that have become so ingrained in our bodies. But it is not impossible. Researchers and doctors are finding out that we are more plastic and um, malleable, malleable, something like that, malleable, something like that, real cool fancy word, insert here, right? You... Whenever you give into your fleshly desires, chemicals are released, dopamine and endorphins and stuff in your brain that say, this is good. So you keep doing it, you keep doing it, and more and more, and then eventually you need more and more of that 
and everything. And so what happens is your brain gets wired and wired and wired to do these things. And what we thought was once like, sorry, bro, you're hardwired. It's, you're hosed. You should just give up. What scientists are finding out is you can actually reverse that. You can actually undo it by doing the opposite stuff. Hmm, it's as if Paul knew this. It's as if he said, quit giving over to the desires of the flesh and give yourself over to the fruit of the spirit and your bodies will become rewired. But friends, it's hard work and the flesh is not gonna go down without a fight, but it is so worth the reward. Friends, crucifixion not only uh, should be pitiless and it's also gonna be painful in your life, but it must be decisive. You must actually commit to nailing your flesh on the cross. And then you must stand guard and prevent it from coming down off that thing and, or to prevent yourself from taking it off the cross. Could Jesus have gone down, come down off the cross if he wanted to? Yes, he did. Yes, he could have, but he chose not to because he knew he had to follow through with it. Friends, we need to follow through with killing our flesh. I love uh, uh, what John Stott says about this. He says, Every follower of Christ is to behave like a condemned criminal and carry his cross to the place of execution. We must not only take up our cross and walk with it, but actually see the ex- that the execution takes place. We are actually to take the flesh, our willful and uh, wayward self, and metaphorically speaking, nail it to the cross. This is Paul's graphic description of repentance, of turning our back on the old life of selfishness and sin, repudiating it finally and utterly. Finally and utterly. And friends, as we end on this last sense, I want to let you know that in the grammar, when Paul writes that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified what he's saying is the, the form of the word that he's using, he's saying that's a decisive action on your part. You have decided to nail your flesh to the cross. It's a point in time where you can look at the past and said, I am done with this sin. I'm through playing games. I'm done. I've nailed it. And I'm going to follow through with it. I'm committed to making sure this thing dies in my life. Now, friends, as we land this thing, I want to remind us that Paul bookends this section of his letter by repeating that the key to living freely in Christ, you want true freedom? You want freedom from legalism and religiosity? You want freedom from your flesh and your fleshly desires? Paul says this, It is to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You cannot hope to be successful against the internal struggle that is in you, depending upon your own strength or your own will. You cannot hope to find victory over sin and death by following religious legalism. You can only find victory by remaining focused on the Spirit's voice, calling out the cadence of your life. Don't let yourself become distracted by other things. Don't take your focus 
off of the one who desires to lead you and instead be led back into a life of bondage through living out the works of the flesh. The warning by Paul that is embedded in what we have just read is that you will be led by something in your life. All of you, myself and all of us, we will be led by something. Either you will be led by your sinful desires or you will be led by the Holy Spirit. One takes you captive into bondage. The other gently and lovingly by the hand becomes your guide. My prayer for you is that you will choose to be led by the Holy Spirit, that you'll keep step with him and do what you need to do to get rid of fleshly desires, to get rid of that thing that wants to call you back into the bondage. Friends, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. That Father, the reason why we can do any of this, the reason why we can be successful and victorious in our Christian walk, in our faith in you, is because of your Holy Spirit living in us. You do not just leave us alone to our own devices or to our own purposes, but your Holy Spirit is there to lead us gently, lovingly, by the hand. And is there to call out correction when we need it so we don't wander, even though we're prone to wander. So Father, I pray that today, every one of us here would be decisive in crucifying the works of the flesh, those sinful desires that seek to keep us in slavery and bondage. That we won't just be committed, that we won't just say it verbally, but we would follow it through to the end. That we would make sure that our flesh is nailed to the cross. And Father, I'm reminded that this is a commitment that we have to make every day for you have called us to daily take up our cross and walk in faithfulness to you. So Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would produce his fruit in our lives. The fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. And that we would excel in these things and overflow with them and that they would be the things that we live our lives by. All God's people said, amen.